Peace, good people. Peace, peace. I'm Kariga Bailey. I'm Felicia Gangloff Bailey, and you are listening to Soul Affirmations with Kariga and Felicia. Ooh, that got a nice ring to it. I kind of <laughs> like that. I tried to make my tone all like, you, you know, did that. I like the way that warm. I like the way that felt. I like the way that felt. I, I would come listen again. Would you come listen? I would say, yeah, I would. Well, why would you come listen? I guess it would be a little bit more about us, right? And what mm-hmm. brings us to this practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Kariga Bailey. I would tell you about myself in the form that I'm an angel father. Mm-hmm. I'm an educator. Mm-hmm. I'm a recording artist, author. Mm-hmm. I think all of these things encompass a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So I am stepping into this chapter rightfully, uh, honoring my story and telling my story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what okay. about you? If I heard that, I, I think I'd, I'd stay around and listen just a little bit longer. Okay. <laughs> um, so what about me? You want to know about me? Yeah. Well, um, I am Felicia. I'm your wife. Uh-huh. And I, too, am an angel parent, an angel mother, um, educator researcher, recording artist. I regard myself as an educational psychologist. That's right. This is my doctor, boo. <laughs> yes. Yep. Doctor. Um, yeah. Felicia Gangloff Bailey. That's right. From Howard University. Mm-hmm. But that's actually not where it all started. I mean, we could talk about where it started or we could talk about why we're here. I think why we're here would help folks understand and we give context to where we started okay well if you're here you may know us first and foremost from season four episode Uh five Uh of black love stand by me stand by me wow i imagine if you're here that that's one of the places where you saw us heard us heard our story Mm -hmm. but yeah go ahead babe i would say certainly uh some folks might have come to this space from hearing that we were going in to tell more of the story. Mm. Some folks might know us from soul development. They might. In fact, it happened at the lake today at my workout. <laughs> it was just fascinating that that was the, the point, but it was a young person from Camp Akili. Word. Yeah. So that was very profound. In fact, I want to bring that with me into this space right now. Mm. This podcast is as we call for reference, Mm -hmm. reference of our story, reference of love, the sacred role of love and grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like to make room for it, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, just hoping that if someone out there is experiencing the early onset of their grief, Mm -hmm. they feel more seen, loved and connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're really here. So we may all love more abundantly. Mm hmm. And I want this place to be like a connecting point, a place where you feel like you belong. Mm -hmm. You feel heard. You feel less alone. That's so important to me. I think the significance of why we come for reference, at least for me, started when I was looking for someone, somebody who had been through what we had been going through. And I wanted to understand more about their process and how they got through it how they were getting through it, what it looked like, if I was crazy for the way that I was feeling, all of the nuances that come with grief, right? Mm -hmm. So I want this space to be that as well. I'm with you Mm -hmm. and I'm listening and I'm trying to figure out 
how we got to grief because all they heard was <laughs> angel parents. So can you tell right. us a little bit more about what angel parenthood is? This identity as an angel parent found me, or at least I found it on social media um, when I was looking for reference. Mm. <laughs> One of the first couples I had found who had experienced neonatal loss, like full term, I saw the mother regard herself as an angel mother now. And I felt like, wow, that's so empowering because she regarded herself as a mother rather than someone who wasn't a mother Mm -hmm. at all anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. it was so special that she was able to see herself as that and still hold her child in her heart. And when I saw that, I said, okay, Cause that's how I feel like my child is still in my heart, mm-hmm. although not in my arms mm-hmm. and trying to navigate like what that is, what that means. How do I name it? I haven't heard anything like this before. I haven't seen anyone experience anything like this before. This isn't something that's talked about. And remember I told you, or you were there when we learned from my brother mm-hmm. of a very close family member who had experienced this type of loss and I'm like how come I never knew this I know your family is so big it's so massive like why didn't I know why does that happen are their stories disappeared you know what what is happening with grief and how it intersects with society all of those nuances right so mm-hmm. I mean and, I, and I'm jumping here I'm talking about many different parts of it but I want to go back in and count it all as reference mm-hmm. and bringing us back to why we are here and who we are for Mm -hmm. that. I like the way you talked about angel parenthood when you learned the identity, how it empowered you. Yeah. How it still centered your motherhood Mm -hmm. and uh, that space in between when you're trying to figure out how to accept the parent that you are more than longing for the parent that you thought you'd be Mm -hmm. and having some reference to be able to stand in your identity though it shifted differently than you expected Mm -hmm. having that reference is so very important because Mm -hmm. when you can stand in it right Mm -hmm. you can then grow with it Mm -hmm. but to evade it constantly because it is hard to understand or to evade it because it's hard to carry into other spaces Mm. right Mm mm-hmm just a quick context, we had uh, some roofers here today <laughs> before coming to the space. Mm-hmm. And they had been at our place a number of times. And he always regarded on the art. He likes the art, but he never told me what art he likes. He just likes the art. Mm-hmm. So today he asked me about the oil paintings. And I shared that they're from your father, mm-hmm. you know, years before <laughs> either of us. And then he pointed at some pictures of Kamayu <laughs> and said, is that just a, is that a painting or a portrait? I said, that's a portrait. He said, oh, you like all types of art? I said, yes. And I took a deep breath and I told him who Kamayu is. Mm. Who is Kamayu? Kamayu is our lovely daughter. <laughs> our daughter born to us. September 30th mm-hmm. after a wonderful 41 week pregnancy 
who was born to us and transitioned in the same day. Mm. Now, these are two roofers that are coming to do another type of work. And I acknowledge to them that this may not be something you hear often when coming into the homes, but I'm having the courage to share this Mm -hmm. because somewhere in your lifetime, someone might've had a similar experience, but we never know about them. And I don't want my daughter or my love for my daughter to be disappeared. So I have the courage to speak of her daily. Mm. And they were so emotionally present with me as I share with them about (laughs) Kamayu. And then they had an understanding of the story in the home and all the pictures they saw. Mm. Uh, So that was beautiful. Man. And I love that you had the courage to to say, say the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Say your truth. Because it also keeps her present. So present. Keeps her present in our in our home. It keeps her present in our lives. It keeps her present when we interact with other people. You know, now they they yeah. know. And I don't I don't ever want the love that I learned in this season, I don't ever want it to be a part of my past. Mm. I want to move through this world with that love always. Mm. It's made mm. me so much more whole and connected Mm -hmm. Uh, it's given me greater capacity to love what challenges me (laughs) Uh, it's given me greater capacity to see you know love in the spaces in the world where it often looks like a deficit so who Kamayu made me when she was when she was born my daughter I was born a father yep so I don't ever want to unbecome that version of myself just because my child isn't here in my arms Right. I want to remain that version of myself. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have the courage to speak of how she transformed my life. And I love that you bring up the love, because I think that's why we're also here. Mm-hmm. Another reason why we're here, not as masters of love, but I think that I'd like to regard ourselves as being here not to show, but to process and refine love as a practice Mm -hmm. i think that's so important between us but also it's so necessary so very necessary i want to uh, affirm you really quickly when you said to show i understand the word selection in that point but i think of it like um when we reveal the processing Mm -hmm. it's equivalent to when you are in a learning space or exam space and they say, show your work. <laughs> right. So if, if we're here, it's to show the work, the thinking, the Thank nuances, yeah. the pivots that it takes to really maneuver through this in real time. Mm-hmm. So we're just here to show the work, to reveal the processing, to make room for others in their processing, mm-hmm. to learn, to learn, to say some things out loud that we may not yeah. have the courage to say previously, to say them out loud. Because that's critically important. Yeah. To be able to say it out loud. So important. So much of our stories get disappeared in the recesses of our mind as we are sifting back and forth on what we want to say to folks mm-hmm. and what we'd rather just not say <laughs> or what they or what we rather not interface with because we think we'll be misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I hope in this practice we are creating room for all of us. Mm hmm. 
so many folks who may have had words unsaid, Mm -hmm. thoughts around love and grief Mm -hmm. and the complexities. But really, we want to make sure you know that the two can happen simultaneously. They are always occurring. Mm -hmm. So we want to make room for that. Mm -hmm. Also want to make room uh, to celebrate the joy and the liberation one feels when love lifts you. Mm. There is a process by which you don't feel lifted right away, but we also want to make room to celebrate when you feel lifted by love, when you feel (laughs) insulated by love. Because there's so many nuances to the journey of grief, but to make sure we give permission to know that grief isn't always sad. (laughs) That is the blanket someone has tried to generalize grief as, but grief isn't always sad. Yeah. It's multi-layered. Sometimes the the sweet kiss of a butterfly (laughs) reminds you that your loved one may not be here, Mm. but how sweet it feels when that butterfly comes to kiss you. Remember the day we were in the backyard when the butterfly kissed you? I do. I look forward to telling more of those stories. And I thank you for bringing that up because we just had a conversation of me trying to now like newly identify what joy looks like for me now, having to redefine these things, redefine gratitude, redefine joy. But all of these points of reference are why we are here. Yep. All of them. All of them. Contextualize in the black experience. Contextualize. You know, I love being black. as you have it deserves context it does it you have to yeah it has to be it's a lived experience all of its own yeah absolutely because of one's blackness oh yeah separate than any other experience Mm -hmm. so we'll get into that too i love that i I look forward to those conversations you know those are my i love it i love it here's my thing like i hope black folks are smiling right now (laughs) Wherever y'all are, I hope this is helping you to smile right now. Man. Because there's something so nuanced about our smiles, whether the way our eyes chink, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Or what about, or don't let the smile turn to a laugh and you get that. <laughs> <laughs> See, there, that's one of them. Mm-hmm. The way we laugh is, um, is beautiful it's sonically. It's a story. Yeah, our, our laughter has a story. Yeah. It comes from way back. Yeah. So yeah, I hope folks are smiling, laughing. And I like to always frame it as such because it's necessary, but our backgrounds inform that. So Karik and I actually met when I was 16, he was 17. Straight up. And um, we were, (laughs) well, prior to meeting him, I had heard, I kept, I was in choir at school, in high school. And my friends kept saying that at least I thought they were saying Karina's coming to the to the concert that we have been working. Coming? Who was Karina? Coming? I thought they said Karina. Karina's coming to the concert <laughs> that we have been working on for so long. I think it was like, was it? It wasn't the end of the year, or was it the end of the year concert? It was the end of the year, kinda, and the end of the school year because it was it was that winter. Yeah, jump. yeah, so, it was a winter. Yeah, jump. so it would be okay. the end of yeah, the. Yeah, because we ended up. That would be the end of that, you know, okay. calendar year. Thank you. So I'm like, who the hell? Why is everybody excited about Karina coming? I didn't. Karina. <laughs> And so um, the day of the concert, I am sitting. No, no, I'm on stage. Yes, you are. I'm on stage getting ready and we're in practice, kind of just hanging out with friends. And I see this gentleman, this young man 
You see, I, you see, I, I was a gentleman already. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. I got, Go I got a high regard for you, man. I got a high regard right, for you. Right. <laughs> Probably because what him. I was wearing. We'll get into Yeah, that. yeah. Because he was walking down and this uh, suede checkered, <laughs> it wasn't checkered, suede patch. You know what uh-huh. I'm saying? Uh, zi- well, help me describe it, babe. You know what I'm talking about? It was suede. Hey, y'all. It, it was like butter. It, it was... <laughs> And he had the butter Tim's on. I had on the butter Tim's. <laughs> See, y'all got to understand. It's like, think, this is like 2003. So think like Dave Hollister. Oh, it was, the, it was you, Dave Hollister. You what I'm like a... <laughs> that's, that's, that was the reference. He came down and Because I'm coming to, I'm coming to, I'm coming to a recital look real performance. Grown. <laughs> I'm coming to a recital performance. And, you know, you got to, when you walk in the auditorium, it slants down. Yeah, it was slanting. So, yeah, that's what that's what she saw. Now, She's, why is Kariga here? Why am I just now noticing Kariga? Kariga and I did not go to the same high school, little known fact. Not one um, day. And the reason why Kariga was there is a friend of mine in choir was dating his friend that he was living with at the time. Mm-hmm. And so they showed up earlier before the show started. And so I had an opportunity to see Kariga walk in and I'm like, who is this brother? And I remember, honestly, I always tell this story and it's so true. And, and, and I wish that I could, I wish I, I had the scientific evidence to prove it. Well, I wish I could see the smile on my face right but now. But when ahead. I saw him, I felt like I was going to know him for a very long time. Just seeing him. Wow. I just felt like, okay, I feel like I'm just going to know this brother. I don't know in what capacity. It wasn't even like, I got to get to know this brother. I just felt like, oh, I feel like I'm going to know this brother. I remember seeing him get on stage and he was kind of like rapping on the mic. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's, he's into music too. He's into art. and, and I got on the stage? You did, what man. What was I you doing was there? Playing. You nah, was stop. playing. No, stop. That's not even true. No, it is true. That's not how I remember the story. What, what would I be doing on stage at your recital? Well, this is before everything started. So people weren't in there. We were like, we were all playing around. People were like playing on the keys. People were, that's what was happening. Okay, so were there other... Were there other students on stage yeah, that weren't a yeah. part of the production? Yeah. I like you to say that as well. well. I apologize. You see what I'm saying? Like the way you just told the <laughs> I didn't, story I didn't is. Frame it right. I'm walking in. I'm just trying to paint this picture, man. Who is this brother? I walk in to your recital and somehow I end up on stage. That's what I just heard. That's what this brother did, <laughs> but y'all. That's not how it goes. <laughs> All right, but listen. So I'm sitting down in the audience, sitting next to my best friend, Janelle. And then I get up, I'm doing my thing. And then I see Kariga is sitting next to Janelle. So I walk over there to go get to Janelle and to situate myself to meet this brother. Which means she intentionally walked by me. She could have <laughs> entered the aisle from the other side. I could have. No, she wants to walk from the yeah, side nearest by. me so I could do the, uh, the church scoot up. You know, you got to let somebody go by in the aisle. The church. <laughs> so you got to do that scoot up. Uh-huh. <laughs> And, yeah, and so either way, he inquired about me to Janelle. But we I introduced myself at that time, right? I told yeah, you who my name was. And then when I was leaving, you were saying, like, you will see me later, uh-huh. right, after the show. And after the show, we all ended up going to Chili's, and we all ended up, by we all, I mean, like, my peers, my friends, Kariga and his friend, and he came with Marcus. And um, my mom actually let me go that night, so that was great. <laughs> And I remember as I was actually the first to leave because my mom don't play. And I went around the table and, and said bye to everyone and said bye to Kariga, gave him a hug. And Kariga was like, you're going to see me again. And I think, what was it? The next weekend on a Friday, he called me. Uh-huh. And that's how we met. And ever since then, 
It's we've, actually been cracking. Yeah, we've been. It's been cracking. We've been, um, cool. we've been cool. So I think, yeah, I think there might have been some like, I might have recognized some of the MCs on stage mm-hmm. from your school, mm-hmm. some of the homies that might have brought me up there. I was trying to. I don't remember definitely trying that, to, Definitely okay. trying to get next to you, though. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely was trying to do that. Yeah. But after high school, we both attend Hampton University. Yes. And Kariga went first. I did go first. He did go first. Kariga graduated a year before me, so. But I'll also have to give you this context. In no way did Felicia follow me. So when I met Felicia, <laughs> she was already clear college bound about where she was going because Felicia is a classically trained pianist. <laughs> and she's been playing piano at that time from the age she was six all the way through high school. And she had a, a well-renowned. I think I even played for the concert. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I saw you play that night. Yeah. World-renowned piano teacher. Yes. God Miss rest Precious Craft. Yes, Precious Craft. So Felicia was already, I guess you would say, like, pre-identified, recruited to play music at Hampton University. Yeah, she had, she had sent. A the, number of other students uh, there. Yeah, but the one that I knew personally, well, her name was Yolanda. She was, like, a few years above me. But we, I'd been doing recitals with her since I was a kid. So... Felicia knows where she's going. When she meets me, I am on my way somewhere <laughs> to where I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. She identified in the story that I, I came in with a friend that I was living with. So I think this is also important to contextualize my work, my role in community, my orientation on giving and why I do it the way I do. I experienced uh, what you would call displacement, houselessness in high school. There was a crazy real estate boom in California at the time. Mm-hmm. And we no longer had a place to stay as a family. So I went to go live with a classmate and teammate. <laughs> so that early is how like my life begins on shaping up. I go on a college tour. Mm-hmm. At this time, I'm not sure if I'm going to go to FAMU because I loved it on the visit. Right. <laughs> Howard was cool on a visit, too. Hampton was definitely cool on a visit. We had some big homies there. This is exactly how it really goes in real life. My friend's father, who helped pay for me to go on this college tour, mm-hmm. here's what we like, knows me and Marcus's personality, mm-hmm. and says, hey, man, based on your personality, I don't know if you and Marcus are going to get out of fam you in time. <laughs> he literally <laughs> says this to me. He was like the average graduation rate combined by both of your big personalities you might be hanging out and you can't afford to be there too long so he actually encouraged and made the choice for me to choose a smaller school Mm. and that's how marcus and i ended up at hampton university Mm. and i remember i got the call karika called me and told me that he was going to hampton and i was like what i was at lunch i was like (laughs) So we really doing this, huh? This so um, yeah, um, this finna happen. We finna go to school together. Imagine being a high school new relationship. You meet at the end of high school. For me, I'm a senior, and I have no real roadmap on how this person is gonna be in my life. What's the story? Right. And we both end up getting to go to Hampton. Yep. I studied sociology at Hampton. I studied music education. And after sociology, I took a teaching appointment in dc mm-hmm. where i earned a master's in special education and i taught with teach for america mm. uniquely enough in dc public schools. dc public schools 
at this time, Felicia is studying and completing a doctorate. No, you jumped psych- me, man. You jumped me. Oh my bad. No. Oh, that's right. You still, you're still. Yeah, when you started teaching, yep, I was bad. finishing my senior year. You sure was. And it was in my senior year that I had taken an educational psychology course, and I, I was like, oh, this is it. Studying, learning, studying cognition, studying human development contextualize in the black learning experience i said oh this is what i want to do and i started looking for schools that had ed psych programs and then i'm seeing oh schools have accelerated phd programs okay oh two schools have accelerated phd programs and then i happened to go to a black psychologist conference with dominica who was a psychology major and i met a recruiter from howard and that is how I got into Howard University. This is an amazing. And I called Kariga like, yo, we doing this again. <laughs> so there is like this level of uh, this presence of goodness that we really inherited before I chose to ask her to be my wife. That's going to be funny. Uh, <laughs> but there was this goodness that was just that was undoubtedly with us mm-hmm. to be able to be a young couple and to transition multiple cities one of them being across the country right right Mm -hmm. from sacramento to hampton Mm -hmm. virginia Mm -hmm. and we both got to go right especially coming out of south sac where we came from there's context there for what the black lived experience looks like Mm -hmm. so the fact that we both had an invitation to go see hampton was really revealing to how we would grow and learn together Mm -hmm. and it would ultimately develop what we thought our role and responsibility was to our people Mm -hmm. to our city to Mm -hmm. our communities Mm -hmm. to folks that didn't get a chance to come study like we did Mm -hmm. right and that developed our lens on service yeah really confirming for us that our degrees would never be degrees of separation but degrees of service yep and we determined that early based upon some things we saw at hampton and some things we saw you know in the community around downtown newport news is where we spent a lot of time engaging with young folks so i just we knew we wanted to like be in service to our people even before we were married it was a, like a value that we both held mm-hmm. so now felicia's in dc yeah and that's i think that's where it really kind of all starts and starts to at least for me like really inform my lens yeah. i had the opportunity to share your experiences as a teacher not as a participant but as an observer in your experiences and also had the opportunity to study black achievement motivation mm-hmm. and watching those things kind of unfold before me, the nuances of them and, and being able to understand them based on your experience and what I'm reading in text, you know, mm-hmm. so special and so rich to be able to do that. Uh, DC is such a, a beautiful place, yeah. such a, a beautiful place for the black experience. And um, one of the most resilient places I've ever encountered for black lives. Yeah. And I say all of that also to just even point out that it informs my lens. Big you time. Know? Um, Big time. I Big guess time. I've already said that and I'm saying it again. And it, it informs my lens. And what we neglected to mention, though, too, babe, though, was the intersections of our learning with our music. So we met in music. Yeah, we sure did. And we continued to use music as a connecting point between us. So Kariga actually uh, was Mr. Pirate 
at Hampton University. Here we go. Uh And um, we actually collaborated. That was our first collaboration. Our very first collaboration. Kariga wrote a poem about the Gina Six Mm -hmm. and um, what black life was like at that time. And even like Sean Bell, Mm -hmm. him being gunned down. And yeah, what what that looked like at that time. What was that? 2007, 2008. And I was like, Kariga, man, we got to do something different. Everybody knows you as, as a poet, but you should let me play with you. Mm-hmm. And so we did our first collaboration together. That is and, true. And we won Best Talent, and he also took the crown as Mr. Pirate. And the whole of Northern California rushed the stage. <laughs> it was one of the highest moments in Hampton oh. University history. You just go ahead and put that on wax and put that on fact. They know Man. that. Man. And this carried over into D.C., mm-hmm. and Kariga started documenting through poetry, through song, his experiences in the classroom. And I had an opportunity to be a part of that. Yeah, she did. I would say, Fee, I think music in real life, uh, it scores our our life. (laughs) It was literally there at the inception as we met and has played a portion of our life and storytelling Mm -hmm. every step of the way, Mm -hmm. not exclusively to music, because I get to the point in life where I remember where, how does this even write itself in a song, right? Hmm. Concerning some of our losses, but music has scored our relationship. And I enjoy that reality of it. I enjoy how it connects us to many. Mm-hmm. I enjoy how our story is, yes, our story, but so many have access to it because of the stories we've told through song mm-hmm. and beyond. When Fee talks about me and the early documentation of the work in D.C., um, I didn't know it then, but I was, what I was experiencing was shaping and forming my values as life would uh, take me on a course. So D.C., 2008, 2007, you know, 2015 is just a very special time in that city. (laughs) And I'm sure there are more dates historically, but as we saw the rapid displacement due to gentrification, Mm -hmm. it changed the landscape of the city. So the D.C. that we were in is not a D.C. that still exists in many forms. Right. So we we caught Hmm. the end of an era, if you will. That was when Obama was president. Exactly. I mean, it's Obama's presidency. Yeah. Just lay that on, lay that as context, right? Mm-hmm. But what it meant to be in Southeast and what it meant to be in Northeast and what it meant to be, you know what I'm saying, Berry Farms and Simple City, all these other places, right, mm-hmm. where the young folks gave me access to their life mm-hmm. and chose to trust mm-hmm. the hopes and the seeds and the dreams that I was cultivating. Mm-hmm. And that was the earliest writing. And Felicia would score those writings with original piano and we would <laughs> perform that up and down U Street <laughs> Waldorf, wherever, wherever there was poetry happening, we were taking this because that was just the early wine and cheese. Just wine and cheese. <laughs> that was the early parts for us of like this therapeutic lens on like narrative therapy, telling the story and letting it take residence. Yeah. We didn't know it then, but so glad that I learned to document in those ways and so grateful that our, our students, our young people, let us into their lives in a way so we could really see the beauty of black life Mm. in all of its variances Mm -hmm. in all of its different presentations Mm -hmm. learning to see how mothers loved so 
deeply, even when the school thought otherwise because she couldn't make it to conferences or didn't answer when we called. Come on. But to know that this mother loves her child, it made me a better educator, made me a better human, made me a better man. Mm-hmm. Right. To be able to count her love as valid, even though it doesn't show up the way we thought we wanted to show up. To be able to see fathers in public and community in transit and they would make time to talk to me because they understood the role I was playing in their young people's lives, Mm. right? In their children's lives. So DC very clearly, very concretely was one of the first instances where I was learning how to love what challenged me. (laughs) My background is special education, Mm -hmm. DC public schools. Mm I was first placed in a setting for students who they identified as emotionally disturbed, except that they put them all in one building and that clearly I violates will never forget that. IDEA. But beyond these things, this is where I was situated. I had to practice love here to even be a credible teacher. So learning to love in those circumstances. Um, I'm going to tell know. y'all, this is one of the most challenging spaces. I remember hearing stories about these students and I would be like yo what are you saying Karika's first day of school there was a student on his desk kicking papers off the very first (laughs) day I walked in he was standing on top of the desk beating his feet feet right so if you've ever seen how the go-go dances go (laughs) so all I'm seeing is his hands on his chest arm flaring out and his feet was just going on top of the desk And he was nice with it, too. And then he was just punting off papers, right? Anything that was on top of the desk. And that was my first day. He was responsible for shaping me and molding me to be able to love what challenged me so that we could really, when trust, when we can move at the speed of trust, Mm -hmm. then learning can take place. Mm -hmm. So all these things were happening. I like my education from Hampton and George Mason. I like them in this way. I like when it equips me to serve black people. Mm. I like when it equips me to prioritize black children. Mm -hmm. I like when it challenges me to serve black people, families, whole. So none of this is separate from the practice of love. (laughs) We stratify the young people. They Mm -hmm. become numbers in a system. Mm -hmm. It's data attached to it. Mm -hmm. And while the data is critically important, nothing is more important than love. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that is a space that called me to love what challenged me because it would then later be the premise for my practice moving forward, bringing us here. Yeah. Right. And I just want to say how much I appreciate your processing at that time because it informed, even for me, a change in perspective and how to see them. I think mm-hmm. so quickly for, for me at that time, I was too quick to cast a judgment based on my lived experiences, right? Mm -hmm. That don't even look nothing like theirs Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. The nerve of me, right? To, and, and I, and I recognize, and I know this now because based on what I was studying at that time was choice behaviors, understanding black uh, student achievement and achievement motivation, wills, desire, goals, Um, All of these different theories, right? But being able to study them at Howard, um, so special because it centers it around just the black psyche and uh, those scholars who created this pioneering work are still 
very much there, present, mm-hmm. um, active, and still very much doing the work and passing so, it on. That's so butter. But being able to foster your processing and how to see them and understanding like, oh, this this child isn't just making a decision to be defiant, you know? Mm-hmm. And this mother isn't just making a decision not to show up because she doesn't love her child. Mm-hmm. No, there, there are things that, there are other variables that inform these choice behaviors. And it was so important for me to see, and, and that's just like a blanket statement. I'm sure we'll talk more about mm-hmm. it, but it was so important for me to see that, to see them with that lens as human, as beautiful, you know, with, with love. With love, with a lens of love. Yeah. But I think it takes all of these practices to refine one's lens. Man. Right? It's not as simple as going to get your lens changed. Mm-mm. These lenses that we speak of, they require labor to refine. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like a photographer who takes their craft seriously. Yeah. Right? And they learn to capture the photo. Yeah. I think similarly, the lens that we're speaking of, it takes time, intention, it takes labor, it takes experiences. For you to say, oh, I like it this way or I may be doing it wrong this way. But all of those things lend themselves to why our conversation about love looks the way it does, feels the way it does, why we challenge ourselves. Right. Because you have to first understand how easy judgment is as a cognitive process. Right. To understand why so many people judge first instead of loving. Mm. Right. It's, yeah. It's how we're. It's the cognitive, the brain does what the brain does. That's what it does. It's going to do it. <laughs> but if we have messaging that teaches us how to implant love instead of judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, we, if we develop language and lenses that teach us to understand that difference doesn't mean deficit, right? But yeah. that when we can bridge across difference, we truly can understand the power of love yeah. and how expansive it is. Yeah. So all of these things, that I think they lend themselves to our practice our backgrounds, uh, but ultimately where we stand in angel parenthood. Yeah. So I'm grateful for the work. I'm grateful for the young people who informed us. I'm grateful for the practice. I'm grateful for the institutions that helped frame some of our thinking behaviors that taught us how to see black people in all spaces. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful for the love that teaches me how to love black people from all spaces. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we may all love more abundantly, mm-hmm. this is why we're here. Yeah. So that grief can be counted as love. Yeah. So that the margins can be seen in love. Mm-hmm. We are here to talk about why we affirm, right? Yeah. Why is it soul affirmations with Kariga and Felicia? Mm. Right. We're talking about the affirming that practice was one of the things we had to learn to do. Yeah. When the waters got deep. Yeah. Because what we learn is that cognitively and in behavior we there are certain behaviors that will happen when we are triggered with traumatic experiences one of the things that can happen certainly when we are triggered with traumatic experiences our breathing changes Mm. i saw this in young people all the time the breathing changes the response to adversity changes Mm -hmm. the patience and the capacity changes Mm -hmm. right some would call this this fight or flight mode right Mm -hmm. so if this happens to us when we are triggered or even better if you're listening to this segment Mm -hmm. and you are a creative 
And let's just say you had a deadline or you love the creative task you were in. Mm -hmm. I've experienced it in my own life where I'm working on a project and I might forget to eat. Mm -hmm. Now, if I can forget to eat, yet I know eating is necessary, right? (laughs) Nutrition. The first human need. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But if I can forget that, what else might I forget when the waters get deep? Mm. What else might I forget? When life gets challenging, what else might I forget when I experience the unplanned transition of our of our daughter? What else might I forget when I lose my brother Mm -hmm. to gun violence? Mm -hmm. What else might I forget when I lose student after student? Like what am I what I might forget along the way? Yeah. So that's why it's soul affirmations. That's That's why why we're here. That's why we're here. And that's why we affirm. So, um, Kariga, I want to read one of the affirmations that you have written in the text soul affirmations and just for clarity's sake soul is s-o-l standing for source of light affirmations and kariga wrote a book um that is actually a toolkit for reflection and manifesting the light within this book was written after he experienced the transition of his brother to gun violence and it is also um, a reflection of his processing with his students And I want to read this affirmation to you. Before you read the affirmation. No. It was made in reflection of my brother's transition. Go ahead. Clarify for me. Um, It does examine my thinking and habits of mind as it pertained to my students. Mm -hmm. But it was bound and (laughs) formatted and put together while we were pregnant. That's right. With Kamayu. That is right. So Kamayu was with us when we were Bring it all together, bringing babe. this work into the world. <laughs> Kamayu was with us when we recorded the album, the Soul Affirmation Deluxe album that's available. Mm. Kamayu is there with us. So that's <laughs> why this text has lasted, I think, and has been able to come into this season of my life. Mm. Because I've let so many things go from previous seasons. They don't fit this season. Mm-hmm. But Soul Affirmation was able to make the transition because... Kamai was with us when we were downloading this wisdom. I love it. Thank you for bringing that into the space because you're right. It all comes together. So this affirmation, Kariga, you wrote, it says, today I will be patient with myself. The goal is to be present, not perfect. Today I will be patient with myself. The goal is to be present, not Not perfect. perfect. Tell me why. That's so beautiful for today. Mm. Um, Coming into this segment, coming into this recording, uh, coming in with all these ideas about how might I best tell my story? Mm. What do I need to remember? Mm -hmm. How do I send her my daughter? How do I speak of her? Uh, (laughs) What do I need to say? Mm -hmm. Um, For an angel parent, there's you can never find too many things to say about your child because you had so few moments so you remember these things Mm -hmm. and it's you ask yourself what do i want to lead with how do i show up as her parent yep Uh, how do i make sure she's not forgotten um how do i what how how would i create this how do i speak this in a way that people might be wanting to hear it how do i make sure they're not too sad Mm -hmm. all these things race through my mind Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before even coming to this what will pe- how will they feel about it, right? Mm-hmm. 
All these things race through my mind. And I had to remember that the mind is going to do what the mind is going to do. <laughs> so let the thoughts go mm-hmm. and let them come mm-hmm. and let them go mm-hmm. and let them come. Mm-hmm. But my goal is to be present. Not perfect. Not perfect. So I may not deliver it perfectly for every listening demographic. It may not land for every type of person. Mm -hmm. I may not be able to pull somebody in who wasn't previously here. And I had to be okay with saying this is for who it is for. And it can only happen if I'm present. So that is the affirmation as it speaks to this segment. Today I'll be patient with myself. The goal goal is to be present, not perfect. When we don't hold ourselves to a standard of perfection, we give ourselves so much room Mm. to experience the ebbs and flows of life, which is is really what has written my story more than my plans. The ebbs and flows have written my story. So if you find that that is your experience as well, then I hope that this segment helps you to be present, I hope that it helps you to love what challenges you. I hope that it helps you to love more abundantly. I hope that it makes space for folks who to learn the love that they did not lose the love, mm-hmm. although they may have lost the person or the expectations that they thought they'd have with that person. You didn't lose the love. So all those things are abundant when we aren't trying to be perfect, when we aren't held hostage to the imaginary standard of perfection. It's this love that's more abundant. It's this love that gives us freedom. And that's what I mean. When I say black love is black liberation. Mm -hmm. When we learn to love ourselves, our truths, Mm -hmm. the nuances, Mm -hmm. and the imperfections of Mm -hmm. who we are, Mm -hmm. I think that's the liberation I'm questing for. Mm. May we all continue to love more abundantly. Well, hope that you find something in this space that helps you feel a little more seen. Uh, I hope that the stories we tell help empower parts of your life that may have been maybe a little more difficult to navigate on your own, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because belongingness is so important mm. to all of us, and especially in the Black lived experience. Mm-hmm. So we thank you so much for coming to the space. Yes. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to leave us some love. You can subscribe here so you don't miss out on another episode. Um, We look forward to holding space for you, holding space with you. Yeah, let us know how how this fits for you. You can rate, you can review, but ultimately subscribe so you can stay with us on this journey. Yeah. May we all love more abundantly. This is Soul Affirmations with Felicia and Kariga. And Kariga. And Felicia. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Massive love.